endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Please be seated. Good evening. There you are. You guys are getting so good at that. Uh, we're going to pick up with the Song of Solomon next time I preach as we study through that string, that, that, that scarlet thread of redemption that runs through the Bible. But I think as a good piggyback for a sermon this morning will be this one for this evening. The one this morning was... Uh, centrally located, or hopefully centrally located, toward those who may not have decided to follow after Christ. There are some things that need to change. There are some things that need to be chosen and some things that need to be put away. But tonight, we're going to look at those who have already decided to follow after Jesus the Christ and realize the world is vastly different after you begin to dry your hair. After you come out of that watery grave of baptism, everything seems to be a little bit different, doesn't it? Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to John chapter 13, and we'll start there, really about verse 31 through really about chapter 14, verse 6. Uh, but what you're going to run into there is a place where we have ascribed Peter once again a tempestuous or a, or a presumptuous nature. We have already described, we, we see him and we see how he jumps toward things rather quickly. And perhaps we use John chapter 13 as one of those springboards to see, to say, see right here's where it is. There at that final conversation. And it would be Peter who is seeming a little bit frustrated with Jesus the Christ. He says to Jesus, I am ready to go with you into prison. I'm ready to go with you to death. I'm ready to go with you wherever you go. Be Jesus who bursts his bubble in this passage, who says, before the cock crows today, you're going to deny me three times. Sometimes I think, what if he had never gone out to that barrel and warmed himself by that fire? You know, we, we look at Peter and we're kind of hard on him. Just think in your mind, shake or not, how many of you ever heard that sermon? Or been to that youth day, or been to that, that time of camp, or to that year of PTP, or wherever it is, and you say, yes, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to make sure I, I put that into my life, and I'm going to, to live my life that way, only to walk out the door and forget about that vow you made. So don't judge Peter too quickly. We do that quite frequently, don't we? Peter, as he's warming himself by that fire, finds himself being tempted. You're Galilean, your speech betrays you. Uh, not me. <laughs> you must be thinking about somebody else. That's not me. 
All 12 of those disciples who would become the apostles in Acts chapter 2, all of them dealt with the idea of temptation. It would be Jesus himself, Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4, who dealt with temptation. How did they respond? Vastly different from each other, didn't they? They, they responded on two ends of that spectrum. So tonight, as we look at the idea of how do I prepare myself to, uh, to be ready for temptation, we need to understand this coming. So real life is different. It's just different from where we are. We're in an enclosed environment with, with brothers and sisters right here in this room who love us, who, who care for us, who have the same common goals, who would support us and would, would offer us safety. And between the amens, it's real easy, isn't it? I have a friend who has been, been going to camp with me as long as I have been directing. And uh, his favorite statement while he preaches is this, it's hard to sin while you're praying. That's interesting. Here, the, the support is overwhelming. But when you walk out those doors, you better believe society is the same way it is uh, back home in Alabama as it is here in Hot Springs, as I'm sure it is all across the United States where it's dog eat dog, where it's every man for himself. Where it's I'm looking out for me and number one, and if it's best for me, that's what I'm going to do. And I don't care who I have to step on or step over in order to get there. And that's the, that's the society in which we are called by God to be shining lights. Imagine that. Shining lights in a world that's dark. Flavor in a world that's tasteless. Well, here we go. You want to prepare yourself for temptation? Here you are. You need to know, number one, that temptation is real. Let's go back to where uh, Michael read for us. And let's go a little, a little further. James chapter 1, beginning in verse number 13. The, the first book written in the New Testament, book of James, written by the half-brother of Jesus the Christ. James would write, say this on the hills of chapter 1, verse number 12. Let no man say when, I, when he is tempted that I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man, but every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And when sin is fully matured, it bringeth forth death. Now look at verse number 16. Do not err, my beloved brethren. That's such a tiny verse, we often sort of kick it out. We, we often don't look at it in the, in the context of 13, 14, and 15 because of the value we place on them and how much information they hold. 16 gives us the key to all of it. First, he begins in 13, 14, and 15 to say, listen here, temptation is real, and when it comes, now did you catch that? When it comes, there are no ifs, ands, or perhaps that it might or may not ever get here. If you find yourself 
being immersed in water into the church of the, the church for which Jesus Christ died, if you find yourself walking down those stairs and walking out that front door or the side doors, you're getting close. Temptation's coming. Why can't we do what we used to do? Why can't we go where we used to go? Why can't we do this thing or that thing? Because it just ain't right. It wasn't right when I did it before. It ain't right now. When temptation comes, you be ready. James didn't come and say, I hope you never have to deal with this in your life. But if you ever do, put this little seed in the back so you'll, you'll, it'll be right back there so you can just remember it when you need it. What he said is it's coming and you better be prepared. Here's how sin works. A man or a woman is enticed by something they want to do. Now, I don't know what yours is, and you don't know what mine is. But when that lust and opportunity gives itself to each other, you now have the child known as sin. And when that child grows to its full maturization, what you have is death. Physical, spiritual death. Spiritual death. Now, I want you to pay close attention to verse number 16. That little small phrase there, do not err, my beloved brethren. You see that one? Let's change that to 2022. And don't think you're too good or too smart or too strong that temptation won't come near you. Because it will. Don't you think you're too this or too that because it's coming and you'd better be ready. My middle sister dated a guy in our youth group. And I was young. I was 12 or 13. And he was a big, strong football player. Drove a 65 Mustang, blue, it was good looking. Man, it was good looking. And I'll just be real honest with you, I wanted to be Heath Harmon. He was a good dude. He liked to eat chicken gizzards. Now, for you who don't know what those are, there are some zoological facts you need to know before we get started on chicken gizzards. One, chicken don't have teeth. And so as they're picking up bugs and grain, they also pick up small little pebbles that go into this little pouch called the gizzard. Somehow something in there moves them all around, and they grind up, and then the smaller food goes into the stomach, and I don't know whatever happens to the rocks. So... Don't eat gizzards, probably full of rocks. I certainly don't like liver. God gave me all the liver I need, and I don't need any extras. I thought gizzards would be a little bit different from liver, and they are, they're grosser. <laughs> he loved, Heath loved chicken livers. And he said, You want some chicken liver? And I'm 12, 13. I said, Yes, I do. I ate two of them. You know, in Alabama, you fry anything, and it's edible, right? 
Except for chicken livers, that is. I don't know what would make them edible. But I wanted him to like me. I wanted him to notice me. I wanted him to see me so bad. I was willing to eat those chicken gizzards. Even after I did not like the first one. But temptation and peer pressure is only for the young, isn't it? Except I walked out of my house today. This morning, 8 a.m., my neighbor Greg's cutting his grass. I'm going to be real honest with you. I tried to cut my grass when I got home. I had dead battery art. I could have got to cut that grass. It just changes when you get 45. Just change. He, he cut his grass. I better cut my grass. The idea of temptation and peer pressure is out there. And if you don't see it, it will hit you right between the eyes. You better be, be looking for it. Notice next. That was the longest one. First, appreciate your rearing first. Now, I'm from Alabama. I don't say rearing very often. We raise kids. Apparently, when you go to the Memphis School of Preaching, they tell you raising kids is bringing up goats. And I told them, you've obviously never met Emma. They didn't like that so much. When you are trying to avoid temptation, you need to, to understand and appreciate those who brought you up, like Daniel and his three friends. You know, we're never told uh, of the parents' names. We're never told if they survived the raid. We're never told anything about them. And what we know about them, we have to find out from Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah's life in Babylon. Everything I find out about them, I find out by example of their children. And what I've known is this. All four of these boys were taught that God is not a geographical location. God's not in a spot. Even in the Old Testament when they had the box, and they would go into that holiest of holies, and then they would presume to assume that that's where God is or always is, or can never be anywhere else. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Nazariah knew even when they went to Babylon, God's there. And that they're going to stand before him on that final day. So, you want to avoid temptation. You need to appreciate the rearing that you have. And you say, well, I wasn't brought up in the church. Yeah, well, you're here now. Which means your mother and father taught you to appreciate truth, right? So continue that appreciation. Continue following after what truth is, finding it, and never slowing down. Notice next. If you want to avoid temptation or want to prepare yourself, you better keep on reading. Look at Matthew chapter 4 or Luke chapter 4. Forty days Jesus is without food. Let's take a quick poll here. How many of you have ever gone without food for a week? Am I the only one? Two weeks. Five days? Three days? Let me guess. Y'all like me. You're like me right now, aren't you? If I miss breakfast, I'm mad. Forty days. Now, 
See if you can wrap your mind. Well, there's no way that's right. See if you can wrap your mind around this. 40 days without food, and the first thing Satan says to him is, but you can't turn these, these uh, rocks into food. That's a good place to start. I'm starving to death. Just turn the rocks into food. Did he have that ability, shake or nod? Yeah. Well, why didn't he? If you'll read the first part of Matthew chapter 4, here's what you'll read, verse number 1. When Jesus was taken into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit in order to be tempted. Hmm. He answered every time. It is written. You say, well, well, Jesus was the Son of God. He knew everything, didn't he? Look at Luke chapter 2 and verse number 22. And Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, favor with God and man. How do you, why do you have to grow in wisdom? <laughs> Where do you know how to turn to that book of Isaiah? How do you know how to do this or that? He's taught that. He's absorbing those things. He lives a life in order to serve the Father. You want to prepare yourself to avoid temptation? You better keep on reading. How many times have you read a section of Scripture only to say, I never knew that was there? How crazy is that? I like uh, Genesis chapter 4, verse 3, where it says, In the process of time, Cain switched from doing what he was supposed to to bring God whatever he thought God would like. He didn't like that, of course. But you can find all of those things throughout the entirety of the, uh, the, the Bible. And I'll give you one that we started out with. John chapter 13. You know, John chapter 13, geographically speaking, is right before John chapter 14, Right? So this is a continuous thought process as Peter is there saying, I'm going to go with you to this place and that place and wherever you want to go. And Jesus says, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows. He then says, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Right on the heels of it. There's not even a space between it. Right in the heels of it. You knew Peter would deny him? Yeah. Did he still say that to Peter? Shake or nod. Let me ask you this. Here's, this is what will cook your noodle. Did he mean it? Mm. You want to avoid temptation? Keep reading. Keep studying. Brother Dan Winkler said a few years ago, I think it was, that he liked to read the Bible backwards. Yeah, I did that same thing. What? He'll, if he reads a chapter, he'll read it, get the understanding of it, and then read it backwards, see how it sort of piles on top of each other. And I, I just looked at him like this, like I don't even know what to do with that. 
But if you read Galatians 2, verse 20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You read that backwards, it piles right back up, and you think, man, God's so good. And thank you for that advice to read that thing backwards. So if you want to avoid, or at least prepare yourself to avoid temptation, keep reading. Notice next. Only the open eyes will recognize. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Remember how that song ends? Because there's a father up above who is doing what? Looking down in love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. I can walk through this, the corridors of this uh, building blindfolded. One, my eyes aren't that great to begin with. And two, I've been up here enough times in the dark where I don't even flip on lights. But if I attempt to walk through this life blindfolded, I'm bound and determined to go to hell. That's the only option. Because my eyes are not open to the proper example. My eyes are not open to the proper teaching. And so if I'm walking through this, eye, this life with closed eyes, I'm bound for an eternity in hell. Look over at Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse number 2. Nehemiah is delivered a letter in Nehemiah chapter 6 verse 1, and it goes like this. Dear Nehemiah, I'd like for you to come to the plain of Ono, which is about 25 miles southwest of where you are, and I'd like for us to talk about this. Love, Sanballat and Tobiah. Now, here's a little background. Sanballat and Tobiah were running a little bit of a, of a gang that tried to run roughshod over, uh, over Nehemiah and break down all of the things he was trying to build up. He would look at that, they'd look at that wall and say, look how little bitty tiny that wall is. Even a fox could knock that down. Well, when that didn't work, they started inviting them outside. Now, you've seen all of those movies where somebody bumps somebody in the bar and they say, you want to take this outside? You know what that means? When we get outside those doors, we're going to do what? You can say it. That's right. We're going to fight, right? Oh, yeah. Why do you think Nehemiah is being invited down to the plain of Ono? Because their plan is if you can't kill the animal, you might as well cut his head off. And their intention is to kill him. And he writes back, Dear Sanballat and Tobiah, you want me to go to the plain of Ono? Here's my response. Oh, no. I won't go. He doesn't go and he stays right there. He recognizes the problem. Our problem is, here's what we want to do. I don't see anything wrong. Well, I wonder why. I, don't, I didn't never saw that temptation coming. Well, I wonder why. I don't notice anything. Well, I wonder why. Open your eyes. In Genesis chapter 4, Cain is told by God, don't you know that sin lieth on the outside of the door just to grab you up. But he's so blinded with rage and fury and, and, and foolishness, he can't see it. Why not? Because only the open eyes will recognize. Notice this one. 
if you want to avoid, or at least plan to avoid temptation, you need to pre-plan to react. And we're only going to look at Genesis chapter 27, although we could look at several hundred places within the Bible, both positive and negative for reactions. Genesis 37. Joseph is sold by his brothers into slavery. He eventually makes it over to Potiphar's house in Egypt. Potiphar's job in Egypt is he is the head executioner, the chief head cutter offer. That's his job. This is a guy you don't want to make mad because he might bring his work home with him. And that's never a great thing. And so, however old Potiphar's wife is, or however young Joseph is, she finds him attractive. The attraction becomes so great on her part that it moves from just seeing an attractive person to now pursuing an attractive person to where she consistently asks him, come in here and have an illicit sexual affair with me. Continually, come in here, come in here, come in here, come in here. And he says, no, 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 no. And eventually she grabs him. And what does he do? He takes his coat off and leaves it there with her. It's a good hanger for that, by the way. Takes his coat off and leaves it there with her. Do you know how far away he is from his family? Do you know how much of a help of his career it would be if, if he could simply move from this place into another place and have a glowing recommendation from Potiphar's wife? It would be Joseph who would say, how can I do this great wickedness? But yet he didn't end it this way and sin against Potiphar. Although it would have been a sin against Potiphar. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against Potiphar's wife, which it would have been, or even sin against my own body and it, it would have been? It's Joseph who understands and, and still teaches today for us that every sin that has ever happened from the garden forward has been against God. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? It was not. Now, listen here. It was not at the point at which his coat came off that he said, well, I guess I had better come up with a plan to decide what I'm going to do here. And if you wait until you are in that predicament or until you're holding the bottle that someone passed you, or other things that people may have passed you. If you're looking at this point in time to, to decide whether or not you're going to do what's wrong, you're going to do what's wrong. Because the only thing seemingly uh, making the judgment for you is how this will affect me. Nothing about God. Nothing eternally. 
How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You're never going to avoid temptation. It was a plan hatched and quickly dismantled about how to avoid or how to allow young Christians uh, just out of the water to avoid temptation. And the, uh, the plan was this. We'll let them go change back into their street clothes, dry themselves, hair off and all that kind of thing, get presentable once again, and, and as they reach the bottom of those stairs, we'll just shoot them. Maybe that's about the only way you can do it. But when you walk out there, it's coming. I can't avoid it, but I can learn how to manage it. I can learn how to respond to it. And it's the way that you choose to embrace it. Where the temptation will either be strengthening or detrimental. And I say that because the book of Hebrews would write, he was, point, uh, he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. It would be 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 32 that God would say, I have made a way of escape. You'll just pay attention. And so, and since temptation is always out there, We need to know how to react. We need to know how to have our minds focused correctly on God and who He is. So that when those temptations come up, I can see Him as I stand before Him. Maybe it's the fact that you haven't put on Christ in baptism, but you need to. You need to hear what He has to say. You need to do those things. You need to repent of your sin, confess that Jesus is the Christ. You need to be baptized in water to be added to the church for which Jesus Christ died. You need to be raised to walk in a newness of life. But, brother or sister, let's get down to the brass tacks of it. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you've dealt with temptation somewhere. How'd it go? Great. Hey, maybe. Could have been better. Mm-hmm. I'm working on it. Yeah. It's coming tomorrow, too. And Tuesday. And Wednesday. Thursday. And Friday. And Saturday. It may even come today. Look to God. Understand that he's the source of the power. He always has been. Understand this fact. You're going to stand before him. You're going to speak to him face to face. And you had better have something to say. If you still find yourself in that hog pen, get up. Dust yourself off. And come home. Right now, while we stand and while we sing.